Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of the Coin Press Podcast. I'm Luke Willis. Today, I am joined by Max Howell. Welcome, Max. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm super excited to have you today. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, Max was the developer of Homebrew, which if you've ever done anything with code on a Mac, I'm sure you've encountered Homebrew. Um, it is a great tool, uh, package registry, and very necessary improvement over the, the existing tooling uh, that was available on the platform. So uh, Max, I'm, I have you here today. It seems like a little bit out of left field if that's all the context we're given, but uh, now you're working on something called T. Um, can you give a little bit of a background of you know what you how you got to homebrew um what is t now and uh maybe how this all relates to blockchain uh sure um homebrew is pretty old now 13 years in may in fact um it was a tool that i built because i needed it at the job i had at the time i worked at a startup in london called last fm and we made six apps in my team. Mm -hmm. uh, iPhone, Android, Windows, Linux, Mac, and we even made a, an app for BlackBerry, which uh, they did have a very brief app store, and we were one of the first apps in it. It was uh, not my favorite development experience ever, to be honest, I'm glad it didn't survive. And uh, in order to uh, develop for all these platforms, we used Mac because it was really the only one that uh, allowed us to have VMs for Windows and Linux. And because it was Unix, it made developing Linux and Mac easier to focus on that. And uh, the tooling available for developers at the time was not good enough for what we needed. I, I found that my team was spending like 30, 40% of our time just messing around with build systems, different tools, libraries, trying to make things cross-platform. And uh, it was unacceptable as far as I was concerned. So I used to go to the pub after work with some of my co-workers and complain about how much time we were wasting. Like, As my co-founder of T, Timothy Lewis, will say, if you give me something that annoys me, then that's all you need to do. I'll fix it. And uh, it's pretty much why I got into open source in the first place and a lot of the reason for all the open source projects I've made. It's just Brew was by far the most successful. But I started working on it in order to uh, satisfy these needs. And while working on it, I realized that it could be more and different and that I was essentially making a tool that sat underneath all other developer tools and with that you have power and opportunity to improve parts of the stack that people don't even really think about and like tools like package managers are distinctly unsexy as well uh, yeah. uh, most people uh, are glad they exist but they never dream of working on anything like that because it, it doesn't it doesn't implicitly change the world it doesn't like uh you can't see how like you're going to get any riches or fame or like popularity or even like kudos from it um i like to think that maybe i changed how that's perceived in that respect but for me it's always been something i've really enjoyed working on these tools that enable me and everybody else to uh achieve more and be more efficient and produce the things that 
open source dreams of and the internet dreams of. So once it started getting popular, uh, I quit my job to work on it because uh, it was far more interesting than the job. And uh, well, it became uh, obviously a very large project. I worked on it full time until I couldn't afford it and then got jobs and I was always working on it part time. I, I, the community became enormous and then I had to like learn new skills about managing large open source projects with huge amounts of contribution. Uh, so in the end, I burned out on that and uh, quit. In the years since, I every time I used Homebrew and I was like, oh, well, this could be better or this feature could exist, I, I made a note because that's kind of what I do. I always make notes. And uh, last year when I started investigating more thoroughly what was possible with blockchain and Web3, like whoever decided to call it Web3, that was a good idea because that for people like myself made it seem like something more than just cryptocurrency. Right. And I've said before that I wasn't that interested in crypto because money is the least interesting consequence of work. Mm -hmm. And I obviously I need money, but the thing I want is to achieve interesting things that I'm proud of. Yeah. So because it was rebranded, I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. And so I dove into it. I'm sure this has happened to a lot more people than me. And this year is going to be a big one. Like you, yeah. you already can see like the amount of people that are starting to twig yeah. uh, about what is possible. But it was when I dove into that, I saw that they, you could build a new version of something like Brew and build it on top of the blockchain to enable new possibilities. And uh, obviously... Funding open source is something that people have been trying to solve for uh, since the internet was created, since open source started becoming how the internet was built. Because you get people like me who uh, create big projects that they want to work on and the world needs, but there's no decent way to fund it. Like things like sponsorship and bounties, they're, they're very common. But, and uh, well, Admittedly, if I'd stuck around, then I probably would have got some decent sponsorship for Homebrew. It's a big enough project. And a lot of the people who still work on it, that I passed the reins to, are sponsored in some capacity. Yeah. But it, that only works for the big names, the big projects, the top of the tower of bricks. I reference the XKCD comic called Dependency quite frequently. And uh, it represents this tower of bricks that is all modern digital infrastructure, as it says, right. essentially the internet. And uh, every time an open source project becomes popular, it sort of becomes a brick that very rarely is removed. And the people who've created it are often very passionate about their projects until they realize that it's becoming a full-time job to maintain it. And then they're sort of guilted into continuing to do it. Right. Projects like uh, Log4j recently in December, that there was that enormous security exploit to it. Right. And uh, they fixed the security exploit. But I think a lot of people didn't even realize that this project was in their stack. A lot of enterprises, a lot of big businesses that depend on a lot of open source and don't give much money back, didn't realize that they were suddenly zero day. And uh, they got quite a bit of abuse on Twitter about it. I saw it. And there was a lot of blog posts written where people were like, well, we've got to fix how this works. And like, Log4j for me is a great example of what we're trying to fix with T. It's a dependency that's deep in the stack that nobody really knows they have a lot of the time. 
It's just a dependency of a dependency of a dependency. And uh, they deserve to receive some kind of funding, some kind of compensation, so that they have the option to work on these projects full time or hire other people to fix things. There's lots of options that become possible once there's some kind of compensation model. And uh, sure. I believe like, it's only because of the way we're going to do it with T. Like, like I say, Homebrew is an example of a tool that sits underneath all other developer tools. So it gives you like a, an overview and essentially a marketplace. So if you can figure out how to like inject some kind of funding model into that marketplace, then you can correctly distribute that funding. So with our token, uh, it will flow from the top right down to the bottom through all the dependencies of the tree. So as long as it's injected at the top. So sponsorship becomes effective and like bounty programs could also be more effective in helping to distribute value correctly throughout the whole chain. Anyway, I've uh, talked for like five minutes constantly here. So <laughs> please. Uh, no, that's, yeah, um, it's, uh, it's an interesting problem to be sure. I mean, anybody who's worked on open source knows that it's a thankless job. <laughs> uh, I can think of countless jobs and projects I've worked on where, um, you know, within an enterprise, we're looking for a tool that solves a specific problem and we find it and it's open source. Great. So we just use it <laughs> and, and there's no payment, no appreciation. Yeah. Um, well, I, I sympathize honestly, because uh, it's really difficult for businesses to effectively sponsor their open source graph. Like if right. you consider companies like Microsoft that are probably using tens of thousands of different open source packages overall, like you need to hire like a team of 10, 20 to 50 people to figure out how to pay all those people. Like right. I have uh, another library called Promise Kit and uh, it's used by 100,000 apps on iPhone. Uh, so I've often used it as an example of, uh, because I've been thinking about how to fund open source for a long time. I had a few other ideas years ago, which I didn't really pan out with. But I've said that if every one of those apps gave me a dollar a year, then uh, I could work on open source full time. Uh, right. It's not as good a salary as I could make working at Facebook or Microsoft, but I don't want to work at Microsoft <laughs> or Facebook or wow. Apple. I want to work on projects that excite me and that contribute to the world in an open source fashion. So it's just really a matter of like figuring out how to help these companies to do that. And with our system, like we're essentially automating how any token you put into it is distributed. We know how the graph is shaped. And so uh, you don't need to worry about it. You just have to like make sure you top up your balance and uh, we're, we're going to use a staking model. So uh, stake, stake your, uh, your token. White paper will be out in April, so this will be revealed. We're like just finishing up the drafts of it now. Yeah. Um, and I, with PromiseKit, uh, I'm actually sponsored like 400 bucks a year by some German company that uses it. And when they were emailing me on how they could sponsor me, you know, it was a back and forth effort. It was difficult. They, I didn't have, like, merely there's GitHub sponsors now, so it's easier. But this is before sure. that. But even with that, they had to find me, find the projects they were going to sponsor, make a decision about which ones they were going to sponsor. Right. Because when you're talking, like, dollars, 
how are you going to split up like those pennies so that they're actually useful? And then like for most companies, uh, the idea of like a fraction of a penny to someone is stupid. It's ludicrous. You need a system right. where you know that those fractions of pennies are adding up. So you need like, yeah, something like tea essentially. Interesting. So I am curious, the, the model here, uh, people can still use the software as it's open source for free, right? Yeah, that's, that's very important. Right? Yeah. It has to be stated. <laughs> We're not changing the nature of open source. That would be ludicrous. Like okay. You can't just jump into this enormous established system and change something as fundamental as that. Right. It's, it's specifically the people who decide to support projects by staking a token who are going to be funding open source development yes essentially um it, it's back to like what i said about promise kit right so like hundred thousand apps if all of those apps just funded a little bit then that would pay so there's maybe a hundred thousand open source projects sure. you can believe it there's probably not more than that how many millions of dev shops are there and millions of developers so it's a matter of just like making a, a good system for them to if they choose to stake token and distribute it. And then a small amounts goes to the entire graph. Sure. Um, it is a staking system we're going to use where staking rewards, so it's inflationary, are the main method we're going to use for distribution. But the white paper will be out in April that will clarify it much better than I can really at this point on the podcast. Sure, that's fair. Um yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, do you have details on uh, like the distribution? Um, I mean, I don't want to like tease out all your secrets here, but I, I am curious if it's am I supporting all of the projects supporting my specific app, or just generally everything on the registry? So uh, almost certainly, it's going to work like this, where you, as someone who has some key token, decide to stake. Um, either an app like we're we're considering, like maybe not initially, but apps will be able to register themselves into the graph with their dependencies as well, or just like top level dependencies. Like React is a good example, right? Even though it's sponsored by Facebook, uh, so I don't expect them to be like a early adopter anyway. But it's a good example because everyone knows it. So right. uh, you stake your token against React and probably a few other packages. Like if you're a dev shop or a company like Microsoft, you would uh, run a script that we're going to provide to figure out all your top level dependencies, and then you can stake them. And then uh, when the stake reward happens periodically, a portion of that reward will go to the staker to you know secure the network, make sure that uh, uh, they're rewarded for their efforts, and a portion will go to the stake dependencies, and then a portion will be split off from that to the dependencies and so on down the chain. Um, figuring out exactly what that percentage is going to be is uh, something we're still working on. Like we're trying to take into account the size of what the expected graph. And we don't want people to get like so much token that this is ludicrous. You know, We want this to be a sustainable uh, model to encourage maintenance. But because we're now like doing that as well, we're going to have like, slashing as well. So we're going to say if your open source package has a security exploit, then our DAO will decide 
and the DAO obviously will be open governments. Everyone who has uh, contributed open source to the graph will have a vote, not necessarily people who are just speculating or staking. Uh, but we, yeah, we're still figuring those details out. Sure. Uh, so if the DAO decides that the security exploit is serious enough, or uh, you'll get slashed, so you'll lose a portion of your stake. Um, the severity of that, we're not sure. But we want to uh, build a system that is improving the open source ecosystem. But we're saying now open source is not just this uh, throw some source code out there and then it's everybody else's problem system. You're part of the internet. You're making the internet function. Security problems can uh, have serious consequences to people and safety and uh, security in general. So if you're going to take some token out of our system, we want you to uh, say that you're going to do your best effort to keep it secure. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, so I guess what's probably your your hardest problem getting started, and correct me if you disagree, is getting uh, open source projects on the T registry, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously you've got new projects that are starting uh, that are looking for where to host their, their code um, or their packages, I guess. Uh, and they could go to T, but then you also have a bunch of existing, you know, log for J um, various toolkits that are already out on, you name it, NPM, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, are are you going after those existing projects and trying to get them to migrate their releases? Yeah. We will. Uh, so initially, we're going to focus on Web3 tooling because uh, Web3 tooling is new and it doesn't have great uh, tools or systems in place. And Web3 people are a lot more enthusiastic about what we're doing. Sure. Uh, Web2 people are still quite skeptical about Web3 and crypto. So I think that would be the best way for us to start then when we show that we're doing this great job with uh, Web3 stuff, we'll start getting more Web2 type projects. And, you know, just any, all the stuff that's at the base that doesn't even have a web classification to uh, get on board. So, okay. yeah, we'll be tackling uh, the cool projects and then trying to get their dependencies on. But we're going to build tools just like, like, you know, when I built Brew, the, the main competitor to it at the time was Mac Ports. And I knew that in order to get people to use my system, I needed to build something that really encouraged them to be a part of it and to be enthusiastic about it. So it not only had to be a better product, it also had to be super easy and fun even for everyone to contribute to. Like In a way, I gamified open source with Brew. I made it yeah. so that the tool itself was a direct way to contribute to it. You could type Brew Create and then a name and it would generate an, a stub for a new package for you. If you used a URL, it would fetch the, the package and calculate the SHA and auto-version it. So it, it was really easy for people to get involved. And then I supplemented that with like trivial documentation. Like I'm a big believer that uh, in, in general, like new tools, everyone hate, like some people love new tools, right? And you know those kinds of people that you go into the garage at home and it's full of everything that uh, you, they never need for doing various tasks and trying out, and they've got a workshop, et cetera. But most people, they, they want a tool that allows them to achieve a goal. 
and they they don't really want the tool. They'd much rather if they could just think what they wanted and it magically happened. So that's the ideal product, essentially. So that's what I you have to build, especially with open source, because. Uh, Hmm. I used to have a better argument for why, but well, you, you, you're often forced into using tools at a, uh, an employer, and like no one's going to pick an open source project without any funding behind it, unless it's already established, always good. Right. Uh, a, a lot of people ask me how to make open source that people pay attention to, and it, it's it's really hard. It's much harder than uh, starting a company with eight million funding. I have to say, right? Rue was a real bootstrap effort, but you you kind of have to do a bit of everything. You need to like be able to do a bit of web design. You need to do a bit of marketing. You have to be able to write good documentation. You have to be able to, to be a software architect. You have to design something that makes sense to the people using it so they don't have to read too much documentation. And uh, with Brew, like, I named a lot of things after beer themes. And uh, the reason I did that was at least partly, partly because it was fun, but partly because I wanted uh, a metaphor in people's minds for an existing system they understood. That then once they sure. understood some of the base parts of the system, the metaphor helped them automatically understand the rest. Right. So you can tell the kinds of people uh, who using Homebrew if they like or hate the naming system. People who hate it are the types of people with like a workshop full of tools that they don't really need because <laughs> they love learning about the intricacies of new things. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, for them, the names are silly. Sure. But for everyone else, the names were things that helped them to understand it. So yeah, yeah. there's a bunch of stuff I did to help Brew become successful. And uh, we'll be repeating the same kind of thing with T. Like a major distinction, obviously, is we want it to be decentralized. We want the maintainers of open source packages to maintain their entries mm -hmm. in our registry, which is something I'm shocked that hasn't really happened before. But I think it's because uh, managing that is a nightmare. Like open source developers prefer to like be able to do everything themselves. And as soon as you need like a load of other people to get involved, it's like, well, that's going to be difficult. I don't know if I want to do that, right. <laughs> but we're going to make it obviously trivially easy. And nowadays it's considering uh, the predominance of GitHub. Like we're going to make a bunch of GitHub actions that make it very easy for you as an open source maintainer to like automatically submit your entries into T and well, I, I'm going to make a, a stub for homebrew that can translate all those packages into a, you're going to have like a bootstrap uh, non-chain registry to start with. Oh, we're anticipating the train will be at uh, the chain will be out um hopefully testnet september and then mainnet whenever like you know my uh, my blockchain guy uh is adamant that you need at least three months of testnet testing so i'm going to take his word on that one he is the expert <laughs> cool um awesome yeah so it sounds like you're uh are you creating a, a new blockchain for this you're not going on ethereum or um we're still figuring it out but at this point it's looking likely that uh we'll have our own chain in some capacity now i'm not going to build it myself i'm going to um use one of the blockchain toolkits that are really excellent nowadays like polkadot for example is one of the, the options we're considering but mm -hmm. you know we're still figuring it out um it's getting closer like to being decided but we you know because we don't want to 
reinvent the wheel. I hate reinventing the wheel. It's ridiculous. (laughs) But, uh, you know, if if we're going to try and uh, build it on top of one of the existing chains, then, like, it's not going to be Ethereum, is it? It's going to be either a layer two or one of the great alternatives. So we'll figure it out. Yeah, I imagine that's mainly because of the the gas fees, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're releasing uh, open source packages, you don't want to pay $100 for it. No. So, uh, yeah, it has to be something where um, the token cost is low and gas fees are, either not existent or extremely low. Like, uh, it can't be free or you end up with situations like uh, Polygon, uh, my open C hidden tab just endlessly fills out with spam. That's, mm. that's what, you know, you learn the lessons from email, right? If it's free, then you get spam. Um, true. So uh, part of the, the, the onus of this podcast is uh, the Coinos blockchain, which you've probably never, never heard of because it's still in testnet. Um, I usually don't shill and talk about it. If <laughs> you're hitting my talking points. Um, so yeah, it, it is a free uh, layer one general purpose blockchain. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea behind it is you pay in opportunity cost. You basically stake your tokens and they're locked for a period of time um, instead of paying with the actual tokens themselves. So Yeah, interesting. That's a similar model to what we're going with. Well, I don't have to check it out then, won't I? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we could definitely talk about it more, but I won't um, belabor the point. Uh, So yeah, so T, I I really like the, the idea just in general of making it sustainable for open source to to be a job right mm-hmm. um because for for so many things like art uh or you know anything where you're building it for yourself which open source i think generally falls into that category at least to start um it's really hard to make a living off of it um unless you're a natural marketer or advertiser and want to go put in the effort, it, it's really hard to turn your idea into a business. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think for a lot of these developers, quite honestly, uh, they don't like business. Right. Uh, what they like is the engineering and solving problems and helping out the world with something that helps something similar to what they were doing for other people. And, uh, you know, you can't expect them, like, even even having to apply for bounties and sponsorships or uh, register those sort of services, you have to, like, sell yourself to a certain extent. I tried Patreon uh, a few years back because I wanted to try and do open source full-time, and I spent half my day figuring out how to market my page and things to do. How to, and I, I was trying to churn out an open source project a week for a bit because I thought that would get me more and more attention and, uh, you know, that wasn't what I wanted to be spending no. my time on. And I didn't want to have to think up, like, smaller and smaller, like, micro-framework type ideas rather than to tackle some of the bigger things that I was more interested in working on. Like, I had a big project that I was working on otherwise. So, yeah, uh, they I want open source developers to be able to make a living off uh, making the internet work properly, <laughs> making the world a better place, providing this tooling. Like, is it is a thankless task. 
I had a bit of a rep online for being a dick on GitHub, but that's because uh, I made one of the biggest open source projects of all time, and I had an awful of entitled people uh, demanding my time, and uh, in, in the end, it, it just drains you. Yeah. So you turn into a bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it, it would be different if, uh, you know, they could show that they were staking my package. Um, right. You know, okay. You know, you're like a customer in a way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That that's an interesting point. Because um, open source developers are definitely providing a public good, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a really interesting model. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the the technical side, how. Um, the distribution of rewards will work, uh, how you're thinking about the economic model to a certain extent. Um, you mentioned in the uh, the article uh, that developer Dow put out that uh, you built virality into homebrew. And I know you mentioned that uh, you were really focused on making it easy to use, pleasurable, good metaphor. Um, I'm curious if there were other viral aspects to it that you were thinking about at the time um or if it was really just that much better than mac ports and other alternatives well um i'd say it's it's, it's down to the, the way i made it so easy to contribute to but for sure. example um initially anyway like this changed over time but initially the way you installed homebrew was you just cloned it so immediately when you were using it, you already had the source code checked out. And it was mm -hmm. running Ruby, so it was interpreted. It wasn't like some binary that was opaque. And I, I find this like an issue in general with open source systems, that uh, it's very difficult to figure out how to contribute. Sure. And so the best way to make it easy to contribute is for it to be in a contributable, contributable state uh, straight out of the box. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I remember when it was early, people were like, it's built on top of Git. What, what's that about? But <laughs> that was because I wanted it to be so that people could immediately jump into contributing. So I built into the command. You could edit and create a formula, which were the package descriptions, um, right into the command. So you install it. You just make, uh, if you clone it into user local, then it's automatically in your path. There's no installation. Right. Um, and then uh, you can edit and create the formula like that are missing. And like when it was released, it was just me, and it was an open box for everybody else to fill in the tools they needed. Yeah. And the README was very clear in how to go about it. It was very easy. And then as soon as they'd done it, they started talking about it on Twitter. And this is like sort of the viral marketing aspect. Uh, if you can get uh, just 10 users... But if every one of those users tells 10 people, then, you know, it's an exponential sort of word of mouth scenario. And it's by far the best way, as uh, Web2 has really shown, uh, to get people uh, interested in your product. So you need a great landing page that when the word of mouth works, people get there and instantly know how they can contribute. Yeah. And then when they've contributed, they want to tell a load of people about it. Yeah. I remember a few years after I um, launched Homebrew, I was sitting uh, at a co-working space and met this guy, and he started talking to me, and he's like, oh, do you know Homebrew? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
I uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I've heard of that. <laughs> and uh, let him talk about it. But for me, that was an example of like the, the, the word of mouth virality had spread yeah. back to myself. And I uh, knew that it was, well, I knew it was pretty successful at that point. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, so... I guess when, when you're dealing with a, a package registry in particular, there's kind of two sides of it, right? There's the tooling of what you're using on your, your machine, installing the code and running the brew command line. Um, but then there's also the registry itself, which um, is, you know, you can set up your own server or, or whatever of uh, packages that are hosted. Um, but with a decentralized environment, now the the registry is like it's a whole protocol, right? You've got smart contracts, you've got whatever whatever your infrastructure looks like. Um, so if we're talking about contributors, people who want to give back to the uh, give back to T, you're you're looking at yeah the command line and the tooling and creating projects and all that, but also the the protocol side of it. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I'm curious when when you think about contributors and making it easy and the virality, are you? I, I guess how do you think about those two sides of it? Yeah, and they're pretty different. Um, so for me, the protocol is really the uh, most important part of what we're building. Yeah, and uh, the way I talk about it is that it's an open graph of all open source. So I want this to include everything that even Homebrew doesn't. I would like our graph to become the authoritative package graph for all other package managers. It's duplicated mm-hmm. work, which is ridiculous for a start. So I want someone to fork NPM and make NPM use our graph rather than the NPM registry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to build a new NPM. We don't want to build new dependency managers for every programming language, but we want them to use our graph so that open source is has some uh, token distribution, no matter what kind of thing it is. So for me, the protocol is more important, but in terms of people putting the packages in the graph, uh, obviously it's going to be an open source project uh, with a government system and uh, some kind of... Uh, evolution type system so people can submit ideas and then we can vote on it but like initially you know we're designing this thing in-house we're building it in-house uh i i think open source always has to work this way really if you release it too early then you get too much contribution before it really has solidified in everybody's minds about how it's going to work yeah so we'll build out the initial version but it's an open system like t the company isn't taking any money from this graph. There isn't like some built-in royalty that's going back to our company. Mm -hmm. This is uh, for the world. We have other ideas for how to monetize. Sure. Based on the T product suite. Like T is just going to be one, like T the command line is going to be one of many uh, front ends to the T protocol. Right. Uh, we, We want it to be the best and yeah. we're going to try to make it the best. But you know, I'm a big believer in competition. So I'm going to build you a, f- a fantastic token model and graph. And then I want everyone else in the world to build on top of it. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the way to do it, right? When, when you're talking about decentralization, you can't be 
the the only <laughs> right um you, you're building <laughs> you're building a baby and and uh giving it to the world and then um you know you're hopefully people appreciate your contribution and go through you but uh there's no there's no harm in a little competition <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. I, I never would have chosen to be famous in any way, honestly. And uh, it's unfortunate. I'd rather just be some anonymous guy. So if, if T becomes famous for T, that would be preferable for me. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah. Very cool. Um, awesome. So, so that's what's going on with T. Uh, we talked about homebrew and the protocol. Um, I just so you're the uh the ceo of the tea company right mm-hmm. and your co-founder is uh thomas uh timothy lewis timothy lewis i had the name wrong uh, i had my notes in front of me <laughs> uh so so timothy lewis so you you mentioned that you've known each other for a long time he got into crypto well before you and uh, mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> he uh he's been in it a long time um i met him in chicago i lived there um 2013 through 2015 or so and uh he was always interested in uh whatever was new and trying to build on top of it um so we we've been friends for a while and i moved away but we stayed in contact and sure. uh he was he was trying to get me into Ethereum when it was new, and he was saying, Max, you should do these digital contracts. Uh, like, he was telling me like the hourly rate, which was very impressive. But yeah, um, would I change anything? Well, obviously, you know, everyone, everyone has regret about when they got into crypto, considering how it's uh, increased in value. But you know, it never was about though the money for me, it was about I'd like, you know, I want enough money so I'm happy. But yep. the most important thing to me by far is working on things that I'm interested in. I, I can't imagine anything more boring than going into a job every day and hating it. So, yeah, that was the motivation. But it was last year when he was like, well, now it's called Web3 and it does this and these things are new and you should check out this. And I, So I started diving in at, at that point. And so, yeah, he's uh, he's been involved in many different parts of uh, crypto, like he was in on the Ethereum crowd sale and, like, he... Uh, Work, worked um, a, uh, an investment company for crypto, and he founded the DevX DAO, which is an, uh, another DAO for developers that uh, you can submit grants and uh, for quite reasonable amounts of money to build things that are just open source in general, like any kind of open source. And uh, I'm on the DAO as well. And so we vote for whether or not we think these open source projects are worthy of the grant request price. And they got a lot of uh, they got a lot of money to throw at people. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> of course, we're all... I, I only got into uh, blockchain as well last year. So, um, you know, I... I've read the the Cryptopians now for anybody else who's new to the space. Definitely recommend that for understanding the background. Um, but it's uh, the more, the deeper I go and I'm, I'm sure you probably have had a similar experience. It still feels early. Right, <laughs> like 90% of people on Twitter think it's just all a scam. You know, you know, right. you're, you're early when like, it, you know, 
just simply isn't all the scam. But there's a certain level of vitriol with it, which is still surprising to me. I, I do wonder what about it is rubbing people so the wrong way that they despise it right? Uh, to the extent that they do. But, well, you know, for me, uh, everyone thought Web 1 was uh, going to be a scam and Web 2 was, like, stupid and, like, uh, what was the point? Right. So these cycles repeat. And, like, yeah. email is still my favorite example. Like, email's still 20% or 30% scams. But nobody would say that uh, it's a, a technology that has no purpose. Yeah. Like once you, yeah, once you dive deeper into what you can do, like digital contracts is really where I started to understand how much potential there was for like automating entire classes of things away. Right. Uh, you know, I, I feel sorry for lawyers, but <laughs> in a world where everything is a digital contract, do you still even need them? Oh, uh, yeah, obviously for some things, but a huge amount of the money-related uh, parts of the legal profession just wouldn't be necessary. Right. But it's, I mean, I, I think the, the key here is that it helps society move toward building more public goods, right? Things like open source and allowing for uh, funding of contributors with what you're doing with T is really the power of Web3. So it's yeah. fine if we disintermediate uh, a swath of lawyers and various middlemen um, because that'll help to move uh, those people and their energies to things that they're excited about and contribute to society at a broader scale. Um so, I mean, to me, that's that's the power of where we're going with blockchain, and it's just going to take time yeah. and, and projects like T to bring people along. Yeah, well, I do see T as hopefully being um, a tool that gets more people on board because yeah. uh, our use of blockchain, like most people can see how that is something that actually needs to be fixed and that blockchain is enabling that. But some people will say, like, you could do this with fiat, and uh, I don't see how. <laughs> like the idea of trying to do it with uh normal banking like just would um <laughs> it appalls me uh, i would never do it yeah like, dealing, dealing with all those banks international transfers and well like fundamentally as i said before you need fractions of pennies for these things to work right but, um but i'm all more excited about what people are going to do with the graph we're putting on chain and you know, that, I think that's one of the powers of protocols that people are starting to really discover is that you put out a decent protocol that's secure and has like a, a small purpose, not like a huge purpose. Then uh, other people can come up with neat ideas for how to do financial tricks on top of that and data tricks and just build it. Run it on testnet. Like you got the whole, you can just fork the internet essentially with uh, blockchains to run it on your own computer and figure out if it's going to work or not. And then yeah, you've built something interesting on top of uh, what did seem like a boring piece of financial instrumentation. So uh, I'm very excited to see what people are going to do when the graph exists and how they can uh, create whole new ideas that we haven't even thought of. Um, that's, that's what I like to do. I like to give people great primitives and then... Uh, see what they will make of that, what ideas they can come up with, what they can build. Yeah, definitely. Well, 
it's very exciting. Um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where, where T goes and, uh, you can count on, I'll be there <laughs> developing as well. So, um, definitely exciting stuff. Um, so we're, we're just about out of time, um, for, for people listening, where can they find you and find T? Uh, so T's at T.xyz, which uh, I was very pleased to be able to buy without giving a domain scammer any money. Like, <laughs> good, good on the XYZ domainers, but for uh, making three-letter domains more expensive. Mm. Uh, certainly is more expensive, but not nearly as expensive as T.com would cost us. Uh, someone has written to me since the announcement. Because we only announced uh, last Wednesday, so it's all very, all very new. Right? Yeah. Uh, before that, it was a stealth project. So uh, TXYZ, which, uh, you know, it's not, it's not yeah, I, I wrote the copy on that. <laughs> We're currently redoing it. Because um, it it, people say it's just uh, difficult to understand what what it's doing. And that's partly because we, we're pre-announced for some other stuff still, right? Yeah. So we're going to be, I'm hoping to open source like the package manager itself in May. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have the white paper in April. And so we got this staggered uh, release schedule to uh, keep people infused while we build up towards testnet launch uh, later this year. But yeah, TXYZ uh, has all our links. Uh, you've got your choice of Discord and Telegram or just signing up for emails uh, and uh, our Twitter as well. So whichever service suits you. Very good. Yeah, and I'll put some links to that down in the description. Um well, awesome. Max, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you around developer DAO and following what you're doing with, uh, with T. Great. Well, uh, thanks very much for having me on, Luke. Absolutely. Yeah. Great discussion today. All right. Well, thanks for listening in today, everybody. Uh, we will see you again next week for the CoinPress podcast. Have a good week.